Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Trim Your Lamps. Trim Your Lamps. Brothers and sisters, today we'll utilize the Bible to show one of the proclivities, the tendencies that the children of Israel suffer from. Satan is going to look to put many obstacles on the road, not only for all people, but predominantly the children of Israel. Why? Because he knows we're God's people, right? There will be enough transferable truth in this particular lesson that which Gentiles will be able to apply this. It's about endurance, brothers and sisters, right? We're going to have to endure. We're going to need not only wisdom, but application of that wisdom. Brothers and sisters. Okay? The Bible says, with all thy getting, get understanding. Brothers and sisters, there are a few obstacles that if we do not get over, there are a few hurdles that if you do not recognize and prepare for, you will cost yourself eternity. Brothers and sisters, Satan understands this. Satan knows exactly what obstacles to put before us. Brothers and sisters, today... It's preparation. Preparation for the fight. Preparation for the second coming. Let's go to Matthew, the 25th chapter. We'll have Brother Corey read the first through the 13th verse. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Christ. And this parable describes his return, brothers and sisters, okay? Verse 2, And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. All ten virgins in this parable took something with them, brothers and sisters. They did not go to meet Christ empty-handed. Can you read 3 and 4 one more time, brother? Verse 3, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the foolish took lamps, but had no oil to sustain, right? The wise took not only their lamps, but the oil, right, in order to sustain until the time of the Messiah or until the time of the bridegroom. Verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Read 6 one more time. Brothers and sisters, look at the marker, look at the time marker, look at the demarcation. Verse 6, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. This illustrates the need to live in a manner that expects the return of Christ. Right. It was midnight, brothers and sisters. Notice that it said that all slept in slumber. Read five one more time, please, brother. Verse five. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slept in slumber. See, they all slept in slumber, but some were in preparation. Some slept with their clothes on. Some slept in preparation, understanding that when, you know, when, when the light comes, I'm already prepared. I know where to go. I have everything I need. Right. 
6. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They did what? And trim their lamps. The title of today's lesson is Trim Your Lamp, brothers and sisters. It says all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. They took it back, right? Verse 8. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. What did they say? Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, What did they say, brother? Not so. Lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So here you have some that here we see had no preparation to where now they're trying to borrow, right, oil. <laughs> they're trying to borrow oil in order for their light to shine. And the people who were prepared, the virgins who were prepared are like, well, you know what? If I give you mine, I won't have enough. So what's most important is me getting in to meet the Messiah. You have to go back to the beginning and get your oil, right? What's verse 10 say, brother? Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And what happened, brother? But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. What did he say? I know you not. Here we see some are excluded by their own lack of preparation. Brothers and sisters, the text is meant to emphasize the idea of, of readiness for the coming of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the young women caught unprepared are denied entry. Could you read 11 one more time, brother? Verse 11. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord. Open up to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Brothers and sisters, all the maidens slept, but the wise were prepared to act immediately when they were unexpectedly awakened. See? So the parable reinforces the call for readiness in the face of uncertain times during, you know, in preparation of this second coming, brothers and sisters. They trimmed their lamps. Some had no oil. <laughs> Some had no oil because they were not prepared. All slept in slumber, brothers and sisters. All slept in slumber, but some were in preparation. They were in preparation. The title today is Trim Your Lamps, brothers and sisters. We want to make sure that those who, who learn with our church, whether it be in person or um, over the, you know, um, over the Internet, that you're able to trim your lamp and have enough oil. That you, when he comes in the 12th hour, brothers and sisters, that you have enough to get you to the end. Right. So let's figure out how we do that according to the Bible. Let's go to Jeremiah, brother, the eighth chapter. Let's go to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Jeremiah, the 8th chapter, the 4th and the 5th verse. Jeremiah 8, verse 4. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? 
Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. Now this is key, Israel. This is key because the Bible says we have a proclivity to use our failure as an excuse to wallow in our sin. You see this, brothers and sisters? What is Jeremiah saying we have a tendency to do? That's imperative we understand this during this time. As we're waiting on Christ, as we're looking to trim our lamps, as we're looking to make sure we can sustain by having a surplus of oil in preparation. Because the text showed you, Matthew 25 showed you that sometimes God put you, put other people in a predicament where they can't help you. So if you ever know that, you know, this is a person that can always, that always has my back or that can help me, God will put them in a place where they cannot help you. So you can rely on him. So if you're looking to, you know, operate and move forward, advance, knowing that, listen, this person will always help me if I'm, if I'm lacking on them. This person will always be able to give the scriptures to me. This person will be able to do this and do that. The Most High will orchestrate circumstances in a way in which they cannot help you, brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time, because look at this, Israel. Verse 4. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backslide? He asked, brothers and sisters, Shall they fall and not rise? Shall they turn away and not return? Brothers and sisters, it's only natural to change course and correct your way when you've strayed directionally. It's only natural that when you fall to get back up, right? That's natural. So he's examining our behavior and saying it's contrary to common sense. These people will fall and not get back up. <laughs> These people will veer course and not look to get back on course. Read verse 5, please, brother. Verse 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem <clears throat> slidden back by a perpetual backslide? Perpetual backslide. They hold fast deceit, and they refuse to return. We refuse to return. What is this telling us about our people? Our people, sometimes we get off the path, but for some reason we never get back on the path. A lot of times we fall, but we refuse to get back up, right? We allow our sin to keep us away from God. We allow this, right? For whatever reason, instead of confession and saying, listen, I was wrong, Father. We don't do that. We try to hide from God as Adam did. So he said, these people, they fall and don't get up. These people will make a wrong turn and not come back. <laughs> A perpetual backslide. It's against common sense. Common sense says when you fall, you get back up. Common sense says if you make the wrong turn, you course correct or you correct your course. But these people, they don't do this. These people hold fast on deceit. They refuse to return, brothers and sisters. That phrase right there, refuse to return. We're going to talk a lot about that. Brothers and sisters, because he's telling you we go off and refuse to humble ourselves to come back to God. Now, brothers and sisters, you don't have time. We don't have time. Matthew 25 tells us this. You're running short on time. So if you go out there and lose your oil, if you go out there, you may not get back.
it may be a miscalculation that you're un you're unable to recover from. We don't have time, brothers and sisters. Let's read those two scriptures one more time, and then let's go to Jeremiah 5. We just wanted to highlight a proclivity, a tendency of the children of Israel. What's that tendency, brother? Jeremiah 8 and 4. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit, and they refuse to return. Can you read verse 6, brother? Verse 6. <clears throat> I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into battle. Mm. You see that, brothers and sisters? Our people don't repent. Our people don't confess. What we do is we hide. We just keep going. We go further and further. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I might as well just keep going. I made the wrong turn. I don't want to come back and apologize. I don't want to come back and confess. I'll just keep going. I'll, I'll just keep going. Something in our mind <laughs> has us operate like that. Where you get knocked down. You fall down and you just stay down there. Rather than getting up and saying, I wasn't strong enough. You stay down there. Right? This is our people. Let's go to Jeremiah 5, brother. Jeremiah 5 and 1. The title of today's lesson is Trim Your Lambs. This is about endurance, brothers and sisters. This is about how to sustain, right? How to sustain until the end, brothers and sisters. There are key components. There's key core teachings in the Bible that will help us sustain if they're implemented. If we implement these tactics, these biblical tactics, brothers and sisters, we will make it. We will be the five wise virgins that had oil and were able to get into the wedding. Anyone who doesn't implement what we learn today will be the foolish. Jeremiah 5 verse 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See, this is about the children of Israel. See, remember, what did he say in, uh, what did he say in Jeremiah 8 and 4? Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back? See? And now he's saying what, brother? Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that execute judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. He said, go through, go through Jerusalem and see if you find any that's righteous. Verse 2, and though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. From the first two verses, it's clear that Jeremiah was concerned about the moral state of our people, brothers and sisters. Can you read two one more time, brother? Verse 2, and though they say, the Lord liveth. Though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. So despite appearances, right? The Most High sees the truth. One may proclaim the words of faith and not practice them. This is what he's saying. So our people will say, yeah, I believe in God. He's the Almighty. Right? But the behavior says something else. Right? Verse 3. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, 
but they have not grieved. Look at this. He's stricken us, <laughs> but we don't grieve. He's harmed us. He's hit us. He's hurt us. Right? Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have refused to receive correction. So he's stricken us. We will not grieve, right? We will not mourn. He's consumed us. We refuse to receive correction, right? And they have made their faces harder than rock. And what happened? And they have refused to return. There's that phrase again. They did what, brother? Refused to return. Look at that. See, this is what our people do. We do wrong, and we don't, we never come back. We never come back. We just continue to do wrong on top of wrong, and then you look up and you're way down the road. You're way down the road, tracking dirt all the way through life. Brothers and sisters, the Most High never comes against us the first time you do an act. He never does that. Because why? We all make a bad decision. A bad decision is different from a pattern of behavior, brothers and sisters. So once it becomes a pattern of behavior, now judgment has to come. Brothers and sisters, the Most High never chastised us the first time. Rarely. Your conscience is telling you, don't do that again, son. Right? You refuse your, your, your conscience. You refru refuse the, the correction. This is our people. Right? Look at how stubborn our people are. Can you read two one more time, brother? Verse two. And though they say, the Lord liveth. Surely they swear falsely. So according to Jeremiah, even those who spoke the words of faith did not practice them. Right? Three. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Israel does not respond to correction properly this is what God is saying and guess what since repentance was no longer a viable option only judgment remained <laughs> you see brothers and sisters because he's saying you're not responding to correction when you someone corrects you you confess and say I apologize brother I apologize sister I apologize father we don't do that <laughs> we go further the Most High give you enough rope to hang yourself. And we just put the rope around our neck. Get up on the chair. Jump off. This is what we do. The Most High is telling you. He gives you enough rope to hang yourself. We refuse correction. We have to deal with that. Israel, we have to deal with that. Because you're not going to make it if you don't receive correction. See that, brothers and sisters? We naturally have a proclivity to go against correction. He's saying if you don't accept correction, you will be destroyed during this time. You will be the, the foolish virgins that now when the time comes, when judgment is there, then you're looking for oil. It'll be too late. It'll be too late, brothers and sisters. Let's go to, uh, let's, let's go to Jeremiah 2 and 30. We got a lot of Jeremiah today, brothers and sisters. Now, you know, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets, which is about what? The major prophets are the Judeans, Benjamin, Judah, and Levi, which are the big ones. 
So you have the minor prophets like Amos, Hosea, which are predominantly about Israel, which are the northern tribe. And then you have the major prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, when all the other Israel, the northern tribes were out of the land. Right. So here we are in the major prophets. Right. What's verse 20 say, brother? Excuse me. Verse 30 say, brother. Jeremiah 2 and 30. In vain have I smitten your children. They receive no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. According to the text, brothers and sisters, historically, we do not submit or comply with correction. You see this, brothers and sisters? What did he say, brother? Verse 30. In vain have I smitten your children. They receive no correction. Look at this. In vain. I put generational curses on your children to get you to come back. <laughs> to, no, to no avail. You become worse, Israel. They receive no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. Oh, my goodness, brothers and sisters. Is that not us? So there's two things in the text. According to the text, though we're, we're frequently corrected, we refuse to be instructed. But look at the last part. Your own sword, what, brother? Your own sword had devoured your prophets. So what does that mean? That means he sent people to you. He sent people to us. And they become an enemy because they tell you the truth. See, this is our people. Your own sword have devoured those I sent to save you. This is our people. See? When you come with correction, when you come with, you know, when you come with a rebuke, a reproof, now you're an enemy. Now you're an enemy. And during this time, we would kill you. We would kill you. Your own sword have devoured your prophets. Like what, brother? Like a destroying lion. So the author places the emphasis of concern on what? Our receptiveness. See, that's what today is about. Our receptiveness, our reception, right? Of correction, of rebuke, of chastisement, of instruction. Because you will not make it. If you can't receive instruction, if, you can't, if you're too proud to receive correction from the Mosai, from the Holy Spirit, or for whom he sent to you, you're not going to make it, brothers and sisters. See, now other nations may deal with this also, but these scriptures are about Israel. This is a proclivity that Israel has. It's, they're stuck. We are stubborn. So when we do something wrong, we just keep putting wrong on top of wrong on top of wrong. The Bible calls it adding sin to sin. See that? A sane person would sin and then say, you know what? Forgive me for that. Forgive me. And then they would get on the right path. The Bible tells you we fall and don't get up. <laughs> we make a wrong turn and just keep going. Cannot do it, brothers and sisters, and make it. Cannot do it. Here we are. Here we are, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs, brother. 15 and 10. Let's stick in the Old Testament here. Proverbs, the 15th chapter, the 10th verse. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 15, verse 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsakes the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Two rules. Two Rules are taught in this proverb. What are those two rules? Could you read that again, brother? Verse 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. First rule is, look, if you resent correction and reproof, 
it proves you have forsaken the way of righteousness. That's 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 it right there. And what's the second part, brother? And he that hateth reproof mm-hmm. shall die. Read that again, brother. And he that hateth reproof shall die. This shows that those who cannot bear to be corrected must expect to be destroyed. See that? See? We're told of the danger, warned not to proceed, yet continue on the wrong path anyway. See, this is why this is important for the children of Israel, okay? This is why this is important for black people, for Hispanic people, for native people. We have to get better as it pertains to receiving correction, receiving instruction. Why? Let's read that one more time. Proverbs 15, verse 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. See, that's the test. How you respond to correction tells what path you're on, brothers and sisters. See, how do you respond to correction, right? Path. That's the that's the telltale sign. You know a man by his fruit. <laughs> this is one of those fruits. How do you respond when someone corrects you? How do you respond? What's the second part say, brother? And he that hateth reproof shall die. He that hate reproof shall die. And guess what? In the prisons, right? When you're seeing a lot of people that uh, are derelicts and all that. These are people who God tried to get their attention when they were young. They continue to disrespect their parents or do drugs or whatever the case is. And now, you know, they're dealing with mental issues, right? Or they're in prison. It says, and he that hateth reproof shall die. The proper response to correction is to accept correction, to implement it. If it's true, implement that, right? Apply that and thank that. Thank the Most High for that. When the Most High come and say, well, son, you're right here, you're uncovered. You should thank the Most High for that or a brother or sister that reveals that. Because why? You were uncovered. We would rather be uncovered and nobody tell us that we're uncovered. Rather than a brother say, you're uncovered here. Cover up. (laughs) We'd rather not do that. Right? This was our community that, what is it, not uh, stop snitching, right? (laughs) Right? See, now these are Jews. These are Israelites, the people of the law. The lawyers. Levi means lawyer. And these are the people that are saying, (laughs) don't bring forth truth. Okay. In fact, if you bring forth truth or correction, we'll kill you. We'll kill you. We're not going to make it if we don't change this piece right here. This is why this whole lesson will be springboard off of this particular text. Because he that hate reproof shall die. We love our people too much. We love our people too much. To not highlight what the Bible says is a proclivity for us that has destructive consequences. Let's go to Ezra's brother. Let's let's uh excuse me. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus first. Let's go there first. Go to the Apocrypha. Ecclesiasticus chapter twenty, verse three. Ecclesiasticus twenty and three. How good is it when thou art reproved? To show repentance. For so shalt thou escape willful sin. For so thou shalt escape willful sin. According to the text, the ability to accept correction has 
vast implications. Let's let's listen to those. Uh, uh, let's listen to those implications again. Ecclesiasticus twenty and three. How good is it when thou art reproved to show repentance? To do what, brother? Show repentance. For so shalt thou escape willful sin. Escape what, brother? Willful sin. See? So here the author associates the ability to accept correction with potentially evading sin. You see that, brothers and sisters? To neglect correction would be an impediment to your spiritual temperament. He's telling you. It's a good thing that when you're reproved, you're corrected. <laughs> to confess that and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm not myself right now. You're right. I, I missed the mark there. I missed the mark and let me get back on the path. See? Let me get back on the path. But no, our people don't do that, according to Jeremiah. Our people fall and don't get back up. Our people make a wrong turn. And rather than come back, humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, we'll just keep going down the road. We'll just keep going down the road. And now years are gone by and you're so far away from God, you're not going to make it back. Our people have a proclivity. Our people have a tendency to do just this, brothers and sisters. We're all going to make mistakes. All of us, including myself. We're all going to sin, including myself. What do you do after you sin? Subsequent to your sin, what do you do? See, that's where we, that's exactly where we want to go. We're going to shed light on that. Why? Because light is the best disinfectant. What do you do after sin? <laughs> See? Because you're going to sin. So am I. How do you respond to sin? Let's go to Ezra's, brother. Second Ezra's, that is. Let's go to the Apocrypha. How do you respond to sin? Israel. Let's go to Second Ezra's. The first chapter, the let's go to the 32nd through the 36th verse, brothers and sisters. Second Esdras, <clears throat> 1 and 32. I sent unto you my servants, the prophets, whom ye have taken and slain, and torn their bodies in pieces, whose blood I will require at your hands, saith the Lord. Saith who? The Lord. Thus saith the Almighty Lord, the house or your house is desolate. I will cast you out as the wind doth stubble, and your children shall not be fruitful. And what, brother? Your children shall not be fruitful, for they have despised my commandment. Why will they not be fruitful? Because they have despised my commandment, and done the thing that is an evil before me. Your houses will I give to a people that shall come, which not having heard of me yet shall believe me, to whom I have showed no signs Yet they shall do that I have commanded them. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, negligence would be a mistake reciprocated with misfortune and turmoil. We're going to read that again. Can you read 34, brother? 34. And your children shall not be fruitful, for they have despised my commandment and done the thing that is an evil before me. Your houses will I give to a people that shall come. He said, I'm going to give your house. I'm going to give what you work for to somebody else. Which not having heard of me yet shall believe me. They believe in me, but don't know me like you know me. I didn't deliver them from Egypt. Okay. I didn't, you know, uh, part the Red Sea for them. Right. To whom I have showed no signs 
Yet they shall do that I have commanded them. I didn't feed them with manna. See? I didn't do that for them. Yet they'll follow me. You see this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? Because here he's highlighting Gentiles now. See? He said, I'm going to take what is rightfully yours and give it to Gentiles. Because there's never been a people harder to convince of truth than the children of Israel. What does the next scripture say, brother? 36. They have seen no prophets, yet they shall call their sins to remembrance. This is the Gentiles. What shall they do, brother? They shall call their sins to remembrance. And what? And acknowledge them. What will they do? Acknowledge them. Here he's highlighting the importance of acknowledging our immorality. You see that, brothers and sisters? The acknowledgement would at least function as a mitigating component. You see this? He said the Gentiles... Read 35 and 36 one more time, brother. Because I want, I want our brothers and sisters to actually see what the Most High is saying here. Verse 35. Your houses will I give to a people that shall come, which not having heard of me yet shall believe me, to whom I have showed no signs, yet they shall do that I have commanded them. They have seen no prophets. So, yet, excuse me, excuse me. Here, brother. When it says they have seen no prophets, that means none of the prophets were Gentiles. Okay? There was no prophets that came from anyone but Israel, right? They have seen no prophets, yet they shall call their sins to remembrance and acknowledge them. Look at that. So the most high, the point that he's trying to make is the acknowledgement of sin. Very important. He said, I'm going to give everything you've worked for to a people. Why? Just because they have done what I said, right? They've acknowledged their sins. See, that's what he was pointing out. He said, we don't acknowledge our sin. We just keep sinning. So instead of acknowledging, he said, when you fall, you don't get back up. <laughs> you make the ground your new home. Once you make the wrong turn, you don't come back. You never return, right? You never acknowledge your sin. See, and that's the, that's the part. Because the question we went in with is, what do you do after sin? What comes subsequent to sin? Because for regular people, for Gentiles, acknowledgement comes. For children of Israel, no acknowledgement comes. And this is what the Most High is bringing up for us. What transpires after the, uh, after the transgression? After you sin, what do you do? Do you just go further and further and, and keep adding sin on to sin? What do you do, Israel? What do you do? The Most High is highlighting a, a principle here that the Gentiles acknowledge their sin. Let's go to Jeremiah. Let's go back to Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah, the third chapter, the uh, 12th and 13th verses. Jeremiah 3 and 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. What did he say? Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. Look at that, brothers and sisters. He said the only thing you have to do is what, brother? Only acknowledge thine iniquity. According to the text, reconciliation starts with acknowledgement. 
brothers and sisters. So bereft of acknowledgement, any reconciliation would be considered illegitimate. He's telling you. He said, return to me, backsliding Israel. Only thing you have to do in order to return is acknowledge your sin. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. See, so the text teaches us that accountability is mandated for the redevelopment of any relationship. So this, excuse me, this was the one sufficient, indispensable condition of pardon. Acknowledgement. You can't be pardoned for something you're unwilling to acknowledge. You can't be cleansed from something you are unwilling to speak about. And this is very critical. An ind excuse me, an indispensable element of clemency is acknowledging thine offense. And Israel don't do this. We never say we're wrong. Even when we're dealing amongst other people, we're dealing with our own people. We don't say we're wrong. We don't say, you know what, that's my fault. My bad. I was tripping. We don't do that. The pride in us will not allow us. This is the key. Our people never return. We never acknowledge our iniquity. Now remember, the precept is 2nd Ezra 1 and 36 where it said the Gentiles have no prophets. Yet they shall call their sins to remembrance and they'll acknowledge them. That is the component we're missing. We don't acknowledge our sin. And God is not going to let that fly. That's not going to fly. It's just like if somebody have done something to you, sister, if a brother have cheated on you, or whatever the case is. If the brother can't even acknowledge what he did, then he's not coming back in the house. <laughs> and vice versa. If a brother, if there's a, a spat between two brothers, and one brother have done something, he's stepped on somebody's toe, and he's unwilling to acknowledge his step, his habitual stepping, there can be no reconciliation. I forgive you, brother, and all that, you know, but we're not going to be reconciled because you're still too proud to acknowledge what you did. Let's go to, let's go to, Rome, uh, excuse me, not Romans, uh, Psalms 51. Let's go to Psalms 51 and 2, brothers and sisters. We're going to read verse 2 and verse 3. What we, the, the principle that we learned in Jeremiah 3 and 13 is acknowledgement, right? Psalms 51 verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Here the, the psalmist does what? The psalmist provides an overt acknowledgement of unambiguous wrongdoing. You see that? He laments his need for spiritual purification. How do we know? What did verse 2 say, brother? Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. See that? And cleanse me from my sin. You cannot be cleansed of something you're unwilling to acknowledge. How do we know? How do we know that? Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. <laughs> and my sin is ever before me. See? Examine David's penitential confession. You see that, brothers and sisters? He said, wash me. Cleanse me. Why should you wash me and cleanse me? Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, 
And my sin is ever before me. So any cleansing bereft of genuine confession is illegitimate. The Bible tells you this. See? I can't be washed. I can't be cleansed of something I'm unwilling to acknowledge. See, this is the key component. Right? You can follow all the laws and you can do all that. But if you're still too proud to acknowledge wrongdoing to the Most High God, and guess what? Usually the people that have a hard time acknowledging wrongdoing to God have a hard time acknowledging wrongdoing to other people. See? That's the pride there. You will not make it. You will not make it. Because some people are going to try to acknowledge it at the end. They're going to try to come get some oil at the end. And it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. We're going to prove that, brothers and sisters. Let's look at 1 John 1. See, there's a principle here in, the, in these scriptures that will help us endure, that will help us sustain until the end, if implemented, right? 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. According to the author, there's a spiritual alliance between confession and cleanliness. Did you catch that, brothers and sisters? If not, listen again. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John states that those who confess their sins... Are both forgiven and cleansed. Can you read that one more time brother? Verse 9. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. Forgiveness. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing. You see that? According to the text. Only those who confess their sinfulness. With a penitent heart. Can be cleansed. <laughs> you see that brothers and sisters? This statement teaches us that forgiveness is what? It's conditional. There's contingencies. See? Biblical forgiveness has contingencies. It's conditional, brothers and sisters. If you confess your sins, and if you're unwilling to confess your sins, you cannot be cleansed. You cannot be forgiven. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is the part we're missing, Israel. The acknowledgement. Of wrongdoing. Because see without that. You're not going to make it. You can't stay clean. There's a wedding. Christ is coming for his bride. And if your garment isn't clean when he comes. What did the Bible. What did Matthew tell you. People are going to be thrown out of the wedding. For having on improper garments. How do you keep your garment clean. How do you keep your garment clean. Let's read it again brother. Verse 9. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that, that's how you keep your garment clean. You're going to fall. You're going to sin. But the only way to clean your garment, once again, is to confess it. See? You're all going to sin. <laughs> how do we know? What's, what's verse 10 said, brother? Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you're telling us you're not sinning, you don't sin. If you're telling us that, then you're a liar. The word of God is not in you. The word is what? Christ. <laughs> Christ is not in you. See? Because if Christ was in you, he would convict you of your sin. 
The first thing Christ and the Holy Spirit do is reveal your sin. Why? Because until you cleanse yourself, you can't come into the presence of the king. See, you're going to sin. So am I. What do you do subsequent to the transgression? What do you do? Do you just continue to act like nothing happened? Do you just walk off and hide somewhere? Do you fall down and not get back up? Or do you confess it and cleanse yourself to get my garment white? Revelations tell you, you, your garment must not be spotted. Your garment must be white upon the second coming. If you come in here with a filthy garment, you're going to get thrown out. As the parable tells us, brothers and sisters. So this is key here. This is key in order to endure. Confession is mandated. It's mandatory. It's obligatory. You will not make it. Without confession of sin. Neither will I, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at this. Let's go to Matthew 12 and 37. Let's go there. Let's go to the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's uh, Matthew 12 and 37. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Take a look at this. Matthew 12 and 37. What's that say, brother? For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What, what did that say, brother? For by thy words thou shalt be justified. By thy what? Thy words thou shalt be justified. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Justification and condemnation can be found in the tongue. Brothers and sisters, the author teaches us that words are free. It's how you use them that will cost you, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. See, so our confession of sin is the beginning of good works. See, your words, you actually have to say this. <laughs> See, our people don't do this. Our people don't confess. They think it's, you know, they think confession is some Catholic thing. Listen, you don't need to confess it to me. <laughs> But you should probably confess it to God at minimum or confess to somebody in whom you trust. Listen, brother, I'm struggling with this. Listen, sister, I'm struggling with this. Why? Because the best cleanser is the light. See, I told a brother this before as he tried to battle, overcome certain sins privately. He could never do it. And he finally shared it. He finally shared it and was able to overcome it. But as long as you're trying to overcome it in the dark. <laughs> it will never work You have to pull it out into the light You have to For your By your words You're going to be justified What is justified? Justified means just if I never sinned See God can view you just as if you never sinned How? What did 1 John 1 and, uh, 1 John 1 and 9 say? Brothers and sisters Let's take a look at Proverbs 18. What we're learning here, this principle here, brothers and sisters, is, is very important. The implementation of this principle is very important. How do we know? Proverbs, the 18th chapter, the 20th verse will tell us how. Proverbs 18, verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. With the fruit of what, brother? Of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. 
Look at that, brothers and sisters. Our lives depend on what happens with our mouth. <laughs> he said, a man's belly shall be satisfied with what comes out of his mouth. See, so it's what comes out of your mouth is what you'll be fed with, brothers and sisters. See? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Our mouths can pave the roads of our lives with what? With smooth pavement or large rocks, brothers and sisters. What did 21 say, brother? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. No, it's in the power of God. Of the tongue. No, it's in the power of Jesus. Of the tongue. No, it's in the power of the devil and the demons. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, Satan knows that the power of life and death is in your control. <laughs> he knows this, and so do, the demons. so do the demons. See, there's simply no way to exaggerate the life-giving and life-taking power of your words. There's no way to exaggerate. See, Satan knows the Bible better than you and I. Death and life is in the tongue. It's not in the hands of the devil. See? It's in the tongue. A man's belly, which means he'll be satisfied with what comes out of his mouth, which means he'll be fed. He'll be fed by what he says. What he says, he'll be justified or condemned with the fruit of his lips. Confession, it's referring to, brothers and sisters. Okay? So you either be justified through your confession or be condemned in your lack of it. See, this is something that has to be implemented. Because why? We're trying to make it to the end. Christ is coming in the 12th hour. In the 12th hour. Right? Take a look at James, the fourth chapter, the second verse, brothers and sisters. Let's go to James 4 and 2. Let's go there. James 4 and 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Ye have not, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. They that make that you may consume it upon your lust. What did verse three say, brother? <clears throat> ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Sometimes our prayers are just an effort to make God serve our selfish desires, trying to manipulate God, trying to plug God into our worldly approach to get what we want. See, our real motives behind the improper desire is to gratify our carnal appetite. See, this is what the Most High is breaking down here. This is what he's speaking through James. There's two principles here. Can you read verse 2 again, brother? James 4 and 2. Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet have not. Yet what? Ye have not. Because you ask not. See, because you ask not. So most people are afraid to ask because they know it's a great possibility that what they want, the Most High is not in agreement with. You see that, brothers and sisters? The same reason that you won't get it is the same reason why you wouldn't ask. 
See, there's a difference in telling somebody what you want and asking. Asking is humbling. <laughs> asking is acknowledging you can't do it alone. See, brothers and sisters, making yourself vulnerable for rejection. Vulnerability is humility, brothers and sisters. See? Brothers and sisters, follow us to Matthew, the seventh chapter, the seventh verse. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What do we see here? What's the principle we see here, brothers and sisters? We can receive nothing without it being solicited. You see that? That's the principle here. Look at the words here. Look at the clauses here. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That means you have to start it. <clears throat> so you have to do something that stimulates a response from God. All right? Take a look. Verse 8, for everyone that asketh, receive it. For everyone that does what? Asketh, receive it. And he that seeketh, find it. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. The Most High is limited by our prayer life, brothers and sisters. He can do nothing without petition. The Bible's telling you this. He can do nothing without petition. Why? Remember, Genesis said that he gave dominion to man. Right? So man, it would have to be a partnership between what God can do based on a man and his mouth, brothers and sisters. And when I say a man, that's male and female, brothers and sisters. God can do nothing without petition. Okay? Because that's what he said. He's sovereign until he speaks. He put that in place. Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock. And it'll be open. See, this is all humble. <laughs> These are all humility. Asking means you don't have the answer. Seeking means you don't know where it's at. You don't know where the answer is. Knocking means you're on the outside. See this, brothers and sisters? This is the key. Because why? You can't be forgiven for sin you haven't asked for. To be forgiven for. Not possible. So how are you forgiven when you won't confess? Let's go to Matthew 20, brother. Let's show, let's, let's use the Bible to show how the Most High's power is limited without petition. Let's go to Matthew, the 20th chapter, the 30th through the 34th verse. Matthew 20 and 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Christ passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Brothers and sisters, I need you to closely examine how the Messiah interacted with these brothers, right? Verse 31. And the multitude rebuked them because they had hold, because they should hold their peace, but they cried the more, saying, Saying what, brother? Have mercy on us. O Lord, thou son of David. So initially, they only uttered a, a, a general cry for mercy, right? Have mercy on us, thou son of David, right? Verse 32. 
And Christ stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? What did he say? What will ye that I should do unto you? Look at that. The Most High requires us to frame our wants into a specific petition. Do you think Christ did not know what they needed? Yet he asked what, brother? What will ye that I should do unto you? What do you need from me? Verse 33. They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. Look at that. Why did he ask this question? He asked that question because if we don't recognize our our insufficiency, no action will be taking place. See? You need me. That was the whole purpose of this. (laughs) Okay? I know what you want, but until you're humble enough to say that, knocking it shall be answered, seeking you shall find, asking it shall be given. See? The Most High, or, or Christ rather, never just walked around and offered up miracles. Never. Never. So we're showing you how important your mouth is and how you use your mouth. See? Because why justification or condemnation is in the tongue, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells you that our people don't acknowledge their sin. That we fall and don't get back up. That we make the wrong turn and keep going. We don't self-correct. Because why? We're too proud to come back and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Forgive me. Because why? When you have to do that, that shows how small you are. How insignificant you are. How much power you do not have. And until you recognize how much power you do not have. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. We have to acknowledge our sin. It starts with just with regular people. Brothers and sisters, when you do something wrong or, you know, whatever the case is, to be able to come and say, I I was wrong on that, brother. I was wrong on that, sister. Forgive me. Right. Even if it's with your wife or your husband or even with your kids, be able to do that because that's where it begins. That's where it begins. If you can't confess to a person you see, how can you confess to somebody you can't see? See that? So usually the people who struggle with confessing and saying I'm wrong to people they actually see that reverberates they have a problem saying it to a God they do not see brothers and sisters acknowledgement of sin the question of the day is what do you do after sin what do you do after transgression because the answer to that question is going to determine where you spend eternity very serious question brothers and sisters we wanted to show you that. What, let's read. Read 30, 31 one more time, brother. Matthew 20 and 31. And the multitude rebuked them because that they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Christ stood still. Now, see this, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, there's no such thing as broad confession, right? Confession that says, forgive me for all my sins. Nah. There has to be specific petition, brothers and sisters. You have to confess the specific sin. How do we know? Here it is. They have a broad, <laughs> a broad petition. Have mercy on us. <laughs> He's like, nah. <laughs> nah. What do you want? Verse 32. 32, and Christ stood still and called them and said, 
What will ye that I should do unto you? Specifically, yeah, have mercy on us, but no, specifically, what do you need? Verse 33, they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. That what, brother? That our eyes may be open. So Christ had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. He requires us to shape our needs into a verbal prayer, brothers and sisters. That's what he requires. If you're too proud to pray for it, you will not get it. You're going to have to get it on your own. <laughs> you will have to get it on your own. And that's including forgiveness, brothers and sisters. Right? See, this is what we're saying. You don't confess in your mind. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Okay, you confess with your mouth. You confess with your mouth. This is something our people don't do. We never acknowledge our wrongdoing, ever. We will not make it until we begin to implement that. We will not make it until we acknowledge our wrongdoing. Because there can be no reconciliation. Until acknowledgement of your transgression, there can be no reconciliation. So the lack of repentance or the lack of confession, brothers and sisters, you see that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Luke 18 and 35, just in case you thought this was just one time in the Bible. No, Christ. Christ would make you formulate your petition with words. He never healed just because. Without being asked, without being petitioned, without words being said. Luke 18 and 35. We'll read 35 and then we'll jump to 40 through 43. We just want to give you the context of what's going on. Verse 35. And it came to pass that he was come nigh unto Jericho. A certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. He was on the way to Jericho, right? Where a blind man sat. Let's, ju let's jump to verse 40. Verse 40. And Christ stood. And commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him. What did Christ ask him? Saying, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What did Christ ask? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Christ generally only healed those who expressed the desire to be healed. See? Why? Because the Most High's power is limited without the cooperation of man. See, some of us don't want to be healed. Brothers and sisters. <laughs> We want to be healed our own way. Go look at John 5, brothers and sisters. Go look at John, the story in John, where it's a brother, you know, um, laid out by the pool of Siloam, right? And Christ is asking him, you know, essentially, do you want to be healed? <laughs> the brother says, I have nobody to put me in the water. He goes into a long diatribe, a whole long soliloquy of making up excuses. Christ just wants to know, do you want to be healed, brother? <laughs> okay. Get up and walk. See, so a lot of us don't want to be healed. God's way. See, some of us don't want to be healed God's way. We want to be healed our way. It's not going to happen. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 40. And Christ stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, what will thou that I should do unto thee? Why did he ask that, brothers and sisters? Why did he ask? Because working miracles in the absence of faith is impossible. 
The Most High's power does not work without a willing participant. What did the man say, brother? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Now, who thought that Christ didn't know what the brother wanted? He's a blind man. What do you think he wants, brothers and sisters? So it's clear that Christ, it's not that Christ did not understand what the brother needed. Okay? Christ needed him to say it because that's the principle of God's power. If you're unwilling to say it or confess it, it cannot take place. The power of life and death is in the tongue. It's in the tongue. What does uh, 42 say, brother? Verse 42. And Christ said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Unless we confess our need, he will take no action, brothers and sisters. He never insists on healing us unless we humble ourselves and petition specifically. See, we're learning something about our God now. See? You're not forgiven for anything you haven't confessed. It doesn't work that way. After you after your bad time, how do you keep your garment clean? How do you keep your garment clean? The only one way. Confession. Right? Why? Because you can't be forgiven for something you're unwilling to confess. See? Acknowledgement. Our people don't do that. Our people compound evil with evil. We compound sin with sin. We add sin to sin. Rather than come on, coming back. And acknowledge my sin, I was wrong. I'll be better going forward. No, we don't do that. We stay away from God. We become angry with God. We're the only brothers and sisters. We get Who in their right mind would get angry with God? As if your love or your anger is going to bankrupt heaven. Don't make your love so expensive. Don't make your love so expensive. Where if God don't do what you say, then you're angry with him. Don't make your love so expensive. Let's go to Psalms 66. Because now we have to show you the side effects of the sin now. Okay? Because there's side effects of the sin. The question was, what transpires subsequent to the sin? After the transgression of the sin, what do you do? What do you do? Because the answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity. What do you do after you've sinned? Let's read Psalm 66, uh, verse 17 through 19. Psalms 66 and 17. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine. These are some powerful texts here because this is a greatly important principle in regard to prayer. Okay, this you now we're learning something. We're learning how to pray now. Can you read 17 again, brother? Verse 17. I cried unto him with my mouth and he and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I do what? If I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me, but verily God hath heard me. 
He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist associates the unwillingness to confess with a harboring of iniquity in the heart. He said, I cried out to him with my mouth. <laughs> you see that? He didn't cry out with my spirit. I didn't cry out with my mind. I cried out with my mouth and did what? And he was extolled with my tongue. See, the tongue has to be involved. What's the next scripture say, brother? And if I regard iniquity in my heart. Then what? The Lord will not hear me. Then what, brother? The Lord will not hear me. If we're not willing to abandon all sin, the Most High is not willing to hear us. Iniquity is invisible sin. That's why he's saying it's in the heart, brothers and sisters. So the desire of sin, even if suppressed from the actual commission, will function as a restraining order, brothers and sisters. Where iniquity is regarded in the heart, the prayer is unacceptable. How do we know? Let's listen to David again. What did he say, brother? Verse 17. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So consider what's implied in regarding iniquity in the heart. The words do not point to the visible sin. You see that, brothers and sisters? What's 19 say, brother? Verse 19. But verily the Most High hath heard me. He heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. The danger of harboring iniquity is that it usually goes undetected. Brothers and sisters. See, we're reading what? We're reading hindrances to acceptable prayer. See? There's hindrance to acceptable prayer. And what is he telling us? Confession. If you regard iniquity in your heart, if you regard sin, the Most High will not even hear you. See? So, if you're unwilling to confess sin, God is unwilling to listen to you. See, and this is how it becomes three and four years. This is how atheists are made, brothers and sisters. This is how people get angry with God and become Buddhist and all these other things. Because they really don't understand how God works. They think God is ignoring them, which he is. Why is he ignoring them? <laughs> Why is he ignoring you? See, you don't read the Bible or you don't believe the Bible because he's telling you <laughs> there's certain principles if you're unwilling to confess, don't ask me for anything. I don't know you. I don't hear you. So in order to get something from me, that's out, you know, in order to get something from him, confession must be linked. See, genuine, authentic confession must be linked. How do we know? Let's go to Psalms 32. This is David here. Psalms 32 will read 1 through 5. Listen to this closely. Some of the most powerful, revealing scriptures that David ever wrote. Psalms 32 verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, right there. 1 John 1 and 9 said he's faithful to forgive those who confess. <laughs> David is saying, what did he say, brother? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. So he's telling you those who are willing to confess are blessed. Because why? Only those willing to confess are forgiven. You see this, brothers and sisters? 
What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 2. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Real forgiveness, brothers and sisters, it quiets a noisy conscience. See, we'll show you that. Verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Look at this, brothers and sisters. We're reading the agony of unconfessed sin. What did it say, brother? Verse 4. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. See, so the psalmist highlights his spiritual and mental state when he kept his sin hidden. Let's listen to it. Let's jump up to verse 3. Verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. It's physical, right? See, this is his physical. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. This was his mental, brothers and sisters. You see? What did verse 5 say, brother? Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. What did he do? I acknowledged my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And then what? And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. He forgave it because he confessed it. See? He understood that his misery, his misery was directly connected to unresolved sin. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, refusal to confess results in the chastening hand of God. How do we know? What did verse 4 say, brother? Verse 4. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. See, his conscience had sapped his physical strength, right? Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And what? And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So always document this. Psalms the 31st chapter 1 through 4. He had all the symptoms of guilt. Right? He knew the answer. Verse 5. To acknowledge his sin. See, this is why he was the greatest. This is why he was the greatest king. But, you know, prior to Christ. He was a man after God's own heart. Because David never hid his sin from God. Never. He confessed his sin. And this is why God loved David. Because David had a man killed, slept with his wife, got her pregnant. A whole slew of things. But he, he confessed it. He never hid that. He confessed it. See? Had a man murdered. Had a man killed. Took his wife, got her pregnant, lost a child. He confessed it. The Bible tells you. If you're willing to confess, he's faithful to forgive. See that? So there's something spiritual going on where we're unwilling to ask for forgiveness or confess. There's something there. There's a spirit that's in control that knows if they ask for forgiveness, if they confess it, God will forgive them. But if I can keep them from doing it, if I can keep them from, from acknowledging it, then you know what? I'm in control. I'm in control. See this, brothers and sisters? The title of today's lesson is Trim Your Lamps. Trim Your Lamps. 
In order to make it, brothers and sisters, you must understand this. What must you understand? Acknowledgement of sin. Confession. Repentance. You're not going to make it without these. You're not going to make it. And according to the Bible, we rarely ever acknowledge our sins. We rarely ever confess our sins. Israel, we're not going to make it. Let's show you, brothers and sisters, because we said we're going to the side effects of sin. Let's go there. Let's go to Genesis 3 and 10. Let's learn about sin now. Let's learn about sin because there's something spiritual about it where I don't want to confess it, right? Okay, let's deal with that. Genesis 3 verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Now, look at this. Remember this, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's read 9. Let's get the context. Where are we at? Verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Where you at, Adam? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I did what? I hid myself. According to the text, when we sin against God, our first instinct is to hide. See? The first action of Adam and Eve having sinned was to try and hide, to try and isolate themselves from God. See, so now you're, you're seeing the side effects of sin. What did he say they did, brother? Verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. See, so hiding and covering are primary indicators of shame, brothers and sisters. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. See, so the sin wants to isolate you. See, the shame. See, this is why. Now you're starting to learn what the spiritual component of a lack of confession. Why don't I want to confess? Why is it hard to say I was wrong? Why is it hard? We're going to learn about that today, brothers and sisters. From the very first sin, the very first thing he did subsequent to the sin was hide to cover See? Let's go to Isaiah 29, brothers and sisters. We'll have Brother Corey read the 15th, uh, the 29th chapter, the 15th verse. Because why? We're looking at the side effects of sin. Sin is spiritual, brothers and sisters. We need to learn a little bit about it in order to defeat it. Isaiah 29 and 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? And who knoweth us? Surely, excuse me. Can you read that one more time? Verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. To hide their counsel. And their works are in the dark. They're where? In the dark. So here we can clearly see that there's a connection between darkness and the act of concealment. Brothers and sisters, the author tells us the preference for darkness is really a preference for concealment. Do you see that? What did it say, brother? And their works are in the dark, and they say, who seeth us and who knoweth us? See, when the conscience is guilty, they stay away from church. They stay away from God. They stay away from the Bible. They stay away from the podcast. 
See? Why? Because the conscience is guilty. See? <laughs> Anything you look to conceal highlights that there's been a conviction in your conscience. Which that's a good thing. Because that means there's still a conscience there. That's why you hit it. <laughs> See, you can still come back. You can still come back. He's showing you something. Sin. Sin does what? Sin, the side effect of sin is that you conceal it. You hide it. You don't want to confess it. See? Let's go to Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's go to Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth. Woe to what? To him that is alone when he falleth. Why? For he hath not another to help him up. Why? For he hath not another to help him up. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws them from any type of fellowship. Brothers and sisters, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin will be over him. So once we have a guilty conscience, then we start to try to isolate. See, why? Because this is the side effect of sin. So beware. Sin thrives in isolation. It thrives in isolation, brothers and sisters. In isolation, it's all too easy to both hide our sin and feed our sin in secret. See? And sin knows it. So that sin tried to pull Adam away. Try to pull Adam away. See, to isolate him. Why? Because if I can isolate him, there'll be no one to help him up. There'll be no one to confess to. See, so when the conscience is guilty, when we've done something wrong, we try to conceal it. We try to hide it. We try to isolate ourselves. And this is what God was saying. Rather than isolate you, that sin wants you to isolate yourself. In order for you to make it Israel, you have to confess it. If you, if, you, if you allow sin to isolate you, you're not going to have enough oil. By the time you come back for oil, we'll be gone. You'll have the five wise virgins and the five foolish. Let's go to Proverbs 18 and 1. Why? Because right now we're showing you one of the side effects of sin is isolation. It's isolation. Proverbs 18 verse 1. Through desire a man having separated himself. A man have what? Having separated himself. Seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Mm. <laughs> Brothers and sisters. I mean. The Bible is just, it's just deep. It's deep. Because the Bible is telling you a man who isolates himself. Seeks his own desires. See. This man is separating himself out of a desire to ignore wisdom. Why? Because if I come around people, they may tell me something I don't want to hear. See? <laughs> when I want to go against what I, I know is wrong, but I just want to stay away because I don't want somebody to come and try to, try to you know, point out that it's wrong or give me any type of logic. I don't want to do that. So and for me to continue my sin, keep it secret, I stay away from people. 
I'm going to isolate this. I'm going to isolate myself. And I'm going to come up with all these excuses on why I'm trying to isolate myself. No, that's the sin, brother. That's the sin. See? And this is why, brothers and sisters, you need to have a place to learn. Okay? This is why. See, so when I hear brothers out there or sisters carrying this banner, like I don't, I'm not with any camps or churches, as if that's a good thing. See? Because why? Now, if you're wrong on doctrine or anything, <laughs> there's no one there to say, well, brother, take a look at it this way. Sister, take a look at it this way. Have you read this record? See? <laughs> so for you to continue to stay in your sin and deal with heresy and all that, you'll stay alone. It's never God's will for a person to just learn on their own, predominantly, okay? But not to say that you can't have private study, because Brother Corey and I, we have our private study. But we have somewhere that we, we learn from, brothers and sisters. For a lot of you all, you, you're learning a lot of different places. For some of you all, you're learning with us, right? Can you read that one more time, brother? Proverbs 18, verse 1. Through desire a man, having separated himself... Through desire, there's something he wants. Having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. See, he wants to walk in his own rebellion and godlessness. So he separated himself from those who would offer biblical counsel concerning his lifestyle or his choices. So he just separates himself, right? Take a look. Verse 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding. See... <laughs> See, that's what sheds light on verse 1. What did it say, brother? A fool had no delight in understanding. See, so they separate themselves against God and subsequently from anyone who speaks the things of God. Why? Because I don't want to understand. I don't want to understand what's right, okay? But what happens? But that his heart may discover itself. See, so voluntary isolation in order to walk in whatever they want. See this, brothers and sisters? This is the side effect of the sin. This is what was going on with Adam. When disobedience is tolerated, then self-deception by justifying disobedience quickly follows. See that, brothers and sisters? Once you isolate yourself, now Satan got you. Because now you can deceive yourself. Now self-deception comes in. Why? Because you're isolated. There's no one else there. Ecclesiastes said what? Ecclesiastes 4 said... You know, it says two are better than one. Why? Because if one falls, he has someone to help him up. It said, woe to him that falleth while he is alone. See, so this is what sin tries to do. Sin tries to move you away from any light. <laughs> Anywhere there may be light. I'm, I'm going to move away from there because I'm trying to keep this sin. Sin wants to keep you to itself. This is how it works. You have to learn how we have to learn how sin works, brothers and sisters, in order to make it. In order to endure, in order to sustain, we must know the side effects of sin. We must know the tendencies, the proclivities of sin. And one of those proclivities is to what? Get you to isolate yourself. Get you to isolate yourself. Right? Where the text is telling you a brother or sister knows what they're doing is wrong. And in order to not have their conscience pricked, they'll just stay away. <laughs> See, it says, having separated himself, 
seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. So I don't want I don't want anyone to try to correct me. I don't want anyone to try to give me any light. I want to accomplish my desire. I don't want my conscience involved. If somebody comes to me and tries to show me or tell me something, then my conscience I'll have to fight my conscience. And I would I would rather not fight my conscience. See? I'd rather to not fight my conscience. So the only way to do that is to isolate myself. Because somebody may say, well, this isn't right. Or this is what God wants. See? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. Now, let's go to Sirach in the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. We'll have Brother Corey read the fourth chapter, the 21st verse. The title of today's lesson is Trim Your Lamps. Ecclesiasticus 4 and 21. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters, because this is the side effects of sin. Why is the sin trying to isolate you? Let's see. For there is a shame that bringeth sin, and there is a shame which is glory and grace. Look at that. He's saying there's two shames there. <laughs> there's two shames. Shame brought on by guilt can either be a burden or an opportunity. Can you read that one more time? Verse 21. For there is a shame that bringeth sin, and there is a shame which is glory and grace. Shame properly used can be an asset, brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's a signal to us that we've done something wrong. Given us what? Given us an opportunity to confess. See? Our natural instinct is to suppress it, hide it, and allow it to separate us from God. That's why I said there's a shame that bringeth sin. Why? Because that, that shame of that sin... Makes you separate yourself. That's what happened in Genesis 3. He said, I, I was naked. I was afraid. I hid myself. See? He used sin the wrong way. See? He used sin the wrong way. That shame <laughs> bring more sin. Which is, I'm going to just stay away from God. And now you're, you're adding sin to sin. Because now you're not even going to confess it. You're going to keep doing more evil. See? What's the, what, what does it say, brother? Verse 21. For there is a shame that bringeth sin, and there is a shame which is glory and grace. See? So hiding is our go-to coping skill to guard ourselves against vulnerability. That's that shame that bringeth sin. And then it says there's a shame which is glory and grace. Because that shame will have you confess your sins and repent. And feel guilty to the point where you're ashamed of yourself that you did this. And you keep that in mind so you never do it again. See, that's how you're supposed to use that shame. Because shame is good. <laughs> okay? You should be ashamed when you do the wrong thing. But how are you going to use the shame? So now what are we learning? We're learning that shame comes with sin. <laughs> okay? Because why? You're created in God's image. So you know right from wrong. You know right from wrong. And whenever you do wrong, you try to hide it. Why? Because you're ashamed. See? See, now we're learning. See, we're in a battle here, brothers and sisters. This is how you fight. This is how you fight. Because I say this many times. Satan can't stop you, brothers and sisters. Satan cannot beat you. He knows the only person that can beat you is yourself. Go read the Old Testament again. You only find Satan's name maybe three times in the whole Tanakh. In the whole Old Testament. Okay? Because why? <laughs> The battle is between you and your old self. Your battle is not with Satan. 
all throughout the Old Testament, the whole Bible, Christians taught us everything was about the devil. Everything was about demons and Satan. Nah. He knows that he has to get you to destroy yourself. He knows that. See? So he's trying to use you against you, brothers and sisters. There's two shame. There's a shame that brings up sin, which is for you to hide it. Why? Because there's no humility. You can't just come and shed light on it and say, I was wrong. And there's a shame which bringeth glory and grace. That, there's that one that bringeth repentance and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is good, brothers and sisters. See? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 14 and 2 now. Let's take a look here. Same book, different chapter. Ecclesiasticus 14 verse 2 Blessed is he whose conscience hath not condemned him and who has not fallen from his hope in the Lord. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin is like a festering sore. You can ignore it for a while, but not forever. That's why he said what, brother? Blessed is the man that hath not Slipped with his mouth and is not pricked with the multitude of sins. And blessed is he whose conscience has not condemned him. Whose what, brother? Conscience hath not condemned him. Boom. Conscience. Look at this. He's saying blessed is he whose conscience haven't condemned him. So the author understands the behavior that pursues a guilty conscience. See that? See? You shouldn't be condemned. <laughs> you should feel convicted, not condemned. You see that, brothers and sisters? So he's saying once your conscience is condemned, once you feel condemnation rather than conviction, what happens? Can you read that, brother? Verse 2. Blessed is he whose conscience hath not condemned him and who has not fallen from the hope in the Lord. See, it's not fallen from his hope in, his Lord, in the Lord. So he's telling you at that point you've fallen from your hope. Because why? You could have just confessed it. <laughs> you could have just confessed and it had been forgiven. So he's saying, blessed is he whose conscience hasn't condemned him with that other shame that bringeth forth more sin. See? There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. You should feel convicted. Not condemned. Condemned is, you know, I can't even face God. I did this, you know, I, I can't even face God. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? See, these are the side effects. These are the side effects that come with the sin. It's going to try to isolate you and your conscience. Your conscience. What happens to your conscience? Let's go to Proverbs 28 and 1. This is why, this is how sin gets you to, to isolate yourself. See, Ecclesiasticus, Sirach said, Blessed is he whose conscience hath not condemned him. Why? Why? What does he know about a condemned conscience? Let's see. Proverbs 28 verse 1. What's that saying, brother? The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked do what? Flee when no man pursueth. See, a guilty conscience needs no accuser. It's always on the defensive. Brothers and sisters, our conscience, <clears throat> our conscience creates the pursuer that ought to be there, even though it's not. 
See, the wicked pursue. The wicked does what, brother? The wicked flee when no man pursues. See, so guilt brings fear. Fear causes a man to run away and hide. See, it has been this way ever since the Garden of Eden. Adam is running for God as if God was chasing him. <laughs> See, the wicked flee when no man is chasing. See, the wicked or unrepentant sinners imagine their pursuit that they know they merit. You see that, brothers and sisters? Now, the word is not a sinner flee when no man pursueth what what? The wicked flee when no man pursueth. That term wicked does what? It, it implies um, an unrepentant sinner. See, we've all sinned, but we're not all wicked. Wicked, when he uses that word wicked, that's an unrepentant sinner. See? So the unrepentant sinner flee when no man pursueth. Why? Because I would I wouldn't need to flee if I confessed it. <laughs> See, I'm I'm trying not to confess it. That's why my conscience is guilty. So the consensus explanation is that the wicked are plagued by the paranoia of guilty conscience. See? The wicked flee when no man pursueth. And this is how it goes. See, now the isolation comes. Because you believe that everyone's going to know. Or somebody may correct you. Or somebody may reveal you. Somebody may shed the light on you. It says the righteous are bold as a lion. What does that mean? The righteous. Those who have confessed are bold as a lion. They can stand there. They don't run off. Right? I can be here. Because why? I already asked for forgiveness. If you've asked for forgiveness, you don't need to run off. <laughs> See, the wicked, somebody who's unrepentant in sin. If I've confessed my sin, then I'm not running anywhere. I'm bold. Because why? John, 1 John 1 and 9 said, He's faithful to forgive and cleanse all who confess their sins. So I can be bold. When Christ comes, I don't have to hide. Why? My garment is clean because I confessed it. See? When your garment is spotted, you run. When your garment is spotted, you run, brothers and sisters. We're learning how to keep our garment white. Whiter than fuller's soap. We're learning how to do this. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus. Let's go back to the Apocrypha. <clears throat> Ecclesiasticus, the fourth chapter. We'll have Brother Corey read the 26th verse. Ecclesiasticus 4 and 26. Be not ashamed to confess thy sins, and force not the course of the river. Be not ashamed to what, brother? To confess thy sins, mm -hmm. and force not the course of the river. Brothers and sisters, unmasking the pride is done in confession. We, we combat pride through confession, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you something I know from experience. The Bible tells you a man or woman should never ever be ashamed to own when he or she has been wrong. See, confessions are not about being wrong, but accepting responsibility saying, I was wrong. You see? What did, the, what did it say one more time, brother? Verse 26. Be not ashamed to confess thy sins, and force not the course of the river. Force not the course of the river. What does that mean? Force not the course of the river is you trying to... It's just like... um. What do they call those? A buoy. 
Right. You're trying to go against the current. The buoys, if you try to push it underwater, it keeps coming up. You're trying to hold it under <laughs> the water, right? It's just like those little, you know, those floaty lights uh, that are in the deep waters where boats are. You're trying to put it under the water, but it, the water won't allow it. It keeps pushing it up, right? So it's telling you the, the sin is trying to come out. The sin wants to be confessed, <laughs> okay? But you're trying to hold it underwater when it's not meant to be underwater. See, be not ashamed to confess thy sins. See? Let it out. Don't force the course of the river. Don't try to swim against the current. Don't try to put, you know, something that's meant to come to the surface under the water. You won't be able to hold it. Because why? You're made in God's image. So your body, sometimes it reacts on its own. It, it reacts on its own. So a lot of times, you don't want to lie, right? The, your body doesn't want to lie. So when you start lying, your body starts you know, either stuttering or making a twitch. Something happens when you're doing the wrong thing. Because your body does not want to lie. Right? It just does not. Because it's created in God's image. We just wanted to show you that expressing remorse communicates that we recognize our infraction. See? It's all a part of the cleansing process. See, if you're going to be cleansed, <laughs> you can't be ashamed to confess your sins. Say I was wrong. Brothers and sisters. I, I, I implore you. To implement this. Okay. Implement this. Not just with God. But amongst your family. Your friends. Your colleagues. Your co-workers. Implement this. Okay brothers and sisters. And you'll feel how hard it is. You'll feel how hard it is for those words to come out of your mouth. And that's alarming. That should tell you something. That should tell you it's spiritual. That should tell you that it's spiritual, brothers and sisters. That it's so hard to even say I was wrong. There's something else there. What is it? Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? See? I have that. You have that. Brother, our whole church and, and everyone listening has that wicked heart that they're trying to overcome. And that wicked heart does not want you to confess. Why? Because if you confess it, the Most High is faithful to forgive you. See? The enemy doesn't want you forgiven. He knows that the only way you could... Your forgiveness... The only way your forgiveness can be neglected... Is if you neglect it. You're unwilling to confess that with your mouth. Take a look at Proverbs 28 and 13, brothers and sisters. Proverbs, the 28th chapter, the 13th verse. What does that say, brother? Proverbs 28 and 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, how we handle our sin makes all the difference in the world. See, how do you handle sin? What happens after sin? What happens after transgression? You see that, brothers and sisters? What happens? Let's read it one more time. One of the most alarming scriptures in all of the Old Testament. Proverbs 28 and 13. 
He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. This is ethical wisdom of the wise, brothers and sisters. Covered sin means no prosperity. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Look at that. Those who endeavor to conceal themselves under falsehood fall out of favor. See? The Most High will never, ever admit a sinful, unhumbled soul into his kingdom. So not only the confession, and see, this is the part right here. Let's read that again, brother. 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Most times we don't confess it because we're not willing to forsake it. We know we're going to do it again. <laughs> we know we're doing it again. See? You see that, brothers and sisters? See, the confession is when it's genuine. When it's authentic. When there's godly sorrow that you're really going to try to walk away from it. But if you know you're going to do it again, you know you're going to do it again. You don't even want to confess it. <laughs> because you're going to be saying the same thing every week. And your body doesn't want to do that. <laughs> your, your body is not made like that. Made for that. He that covered his sin shall not prosper. What does that mean? Adam covered their sin with what? Trees, leaves, the same thing that caused them to sin. And this is usually what happens. We try to cover our sin with sin. We start lying, <laughs> trying to, because why? When there's one lie, you got to tell another lie, and then another lie to cover that lie. And this is how it works, brothers and sisters. He that cover his sin will not prosper. Now, do you believe the Bible? Because if you're saying you're a Jew, you're an Israelite, the Sabbath is Saturday, that means you believe the Bible. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe this part of the Bible. What did it say, brother? 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. See? You have to believe that. God will not allow you to prosper without confessing your sin. He will not allow it. See? So a lot of us are our own worst enemy. We are our own worst enemy, brothers and sisters. Let's read uh, Luke 17 and 3. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. We're going to the gospel. Luke, the 17th chapter, the third and fourth verses. Luke 17 and 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, do what? Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. If he does what? Repent, forgive him. What is what is the relationship between confession and forgiveness in this scripture, brothers and sisters? I need you to listen to that one more time. Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, and if he repent, forgive him. Forgiveness is conditional. There are contingencies. Take a look. Verse 4. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Thou shalt what? Forgive him. The condition for receiving God's forgiveness is confession of our sin. God is saying, I don't care how many sins you do, I'm going to forgive you if you confess him genuinely. See? So Christ says clearly that confession is a necessary condition of forgiveness. It's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. So we, if you continue to add sin to sin, 
you will not prosper. Because until you confess that sin, it's getting heavier and heavier. And what tends to happen is five years later, now you're an atheist. See, this is what a lot of atheists did. A lot of atheists refused to confess their sin. And they just kept going further and further instead of confessing. And now it's 10 years later. Now it's 15 years later. Now it's 20 years later. See, and they hate God. Why? Because they would never just confess the sin. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters. This is what happens. Let's go to Psalms 86 and 5. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. We're almost done here. Psalms, the 86th chapter, we'll have Brother Corey read the fifth verse. Psalms 86 and 5. For thou, thou Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Unto who, brother? All them that call upon thee. Unto who, brother? All them that call upon thee. Without your solicitation, any clemency would not only be illegitimate, but unwarranted. Take a look at that one more time. Verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. And plenteous in mercy. Plenty mercy. Unto all them that call upon thee. Only unto all that call. See? So the psalmist highlights the, the humility required to be vindicated. Brothers and sisters, he's ready to forgive. But we don't forgive people until they call, is what the Most High is saying. He doesn't forgive people until they call. So that's that's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. You're learning the conditions now. You're learning the conditions of forgiveness. You're learning the conditions of answered prayer. All these things you will need. Or you will run out of oil. You will not make it to the twelfth hour. You will not make it. See? Let's go to Job, brother. 33. Let's go to the Old Testament here. Let's go to Job uh, 33, brothers and sisters. And 27. Job 33 and 27. He looketh upon men. And if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Here we see that deliverance and confession are bound together. It's a package deal. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 27. Yes. He looketh upon men, and if any say, If any man says, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. What will happen? He will deliver his soul from going into the pit. You will deliver your own soul <laughs> from going to the pit. See? <laughs> Deliverance is tied to confession, brothers and sisters. And his life shall see the light. By your words you shall be justified, or by your words you shall be condemned. You see this? Brothers and sisters. Let's read that one more time. Verse 27. He looketh upon men. And if any say. I have sinned. And perverted that which was right. And it profited me not. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit. And his life shall see the light. 
Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. The light of the living. Telling you, as long as you keep it in the dark, you're dead, brothers and sisters. So humility, brothers and sisters, is what's needed. Repentance is produced by a humble, contrite spirit. See, so you can't repent. You can't confess while you're dealing with pride. We're, we're reading the power of repentance, brothers and sisters. What was the power of repentance? Can you read verse... Can you read verse 28, the power of repentance? Verse 28. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit. That's the power of repentance. This text magnifies how repentance and obedience result in God's favor. Repentance is the posture that God requires brothers and sisters. You see that? If any man say, I've sinned, I've perverted what's right. It has not profited me. Deliverance comes. Deliverance is connected with what comes out of your mouth. Proverbs said, a man shall be fed with what comes out of his mouth. See? So it actually has to come out of your mouth, brothers and sisters. Not just you thinking about it in your mind. Not you feeling sorry about it. None of that. Confession. I encourage brothers and sisters to, to implement this. This is something that's missing out of our life, our spiritual lives. This is something many people do not do. Not only in their spiritual life, but their physical life. This is one of those missing components. One of those missing components. Take a look at James 5 and 16. Because this... This here will help you, brothers and sisters. James 5 and 16 will help you tremendously. James 5 and 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Read that one more time, brother. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Why, brother? That you may be healed. Why? That you may be healed. Confession of sin keeps the spirit, the soul, and the body healthy. Brothers and sisters. See? Exposure is a painful but necessary step towards freedom. The text is showing us this, brothers and sisters. In order to overcome a stronghold, you must bring it into the light. So it's saying, don't be ashamed to confess your sin to another brother or another sister and say... You know, I'm struggling with this. This is something that's been, it's been kicking my behind. I've been trying to escape this, but it's been strong. See, now you pulled it into the light. Now you become stronger because now you have a support system and you pulled it into the light. As long as you're too proud to, to, to deal with it in the light and you're trying to beat this thing in the dark, it's not going to work. I'm not saying confess your faults to everybody. But there's one or there's a one or two people that you can trust, that you can give certain information to, and it won't affect how they view you. Right? Confess your faults to one another. Pray for another one. Why? That you may be healed. What does the last part say, brother? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, why is he saying that? <laughs> he knows that. Effective fair, uh, prayer 
doesn't avail for a person who doesn't confess their fault. <laughs> You've seen that, brothers and sisters? So he said, the prayer doesn't work. It doesn't avail of anything until you confess it. So confess your faults. So prayer. You can't pray for another brother or, a, or anyone while you got unconfessed sin. See? So by nature, brothers and sisters, sin grows in the dark. And the best way to stay in sin is to keep it in secret. See, James writes that we should, it should be common practice for believers to confess our sins to each other. And one thing I know is we never tell the whole testimony, do we? You never tell the whole testimony, do you? Because you're scared of what people will say or what people will think. We give the, the PG version of our testimony. He's telling you, confess your faults. See, this is, a, this is a tenet here. This is a tenet that's useful to overcome certain sins and strongholds. Why? Because if you're too ashamed, you're too ashamed to reveal it, it highlights your pride. And that's the real issue there. See? You're too ashamed because you want people to think of you this way. Right? You don't want people to see you vulnerable. That's called pride, brothers and sisters. That's called pride. Let's go to Second Chronicles 7 and 14, brother. This is a key scripture and uh, this awakening for our people. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. Listen to this closely, brothers and sisters. And then we'll end it at James 4 and 17. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Brothers and sisters, the first the Lord says, if you will do what? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Number one. Look at this. And it goes in order. The first thing you have to do is humble yourself. Then what? And pray. Why? Why do you have to humble yourself before you pray? Because I'm not hearing your prayers. <laughs> Until you humble yourself through confession, right? And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Look at that. So number one, humble yourself. Number two, pray. Number three, seek my face. And number four, turn from your wicked ways. Then he'll do what? Then will I hear from heaven. He'll do what? I will hear from heaven. He will do three things. Number one, hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. Forgive you of your sin. And heal their land. And heal our land. Bring us back to the promised land. See that, brothers and sisters? It started off with humbling yourself. So the first thing our people have to do is find some humility. This was the very first thing he said was mandatory for our people. You see that? Because he knows how prideful we are. He knows how proud we are. So the very first thing he said, if my people shall humble themselves. See, the first thing our people must do is humble ourselves. Why? Because the pride Enormous pride is amongst our people. And it's keeping us away from our God. You see this, brothers and sisters? Do you see this? 
Let's go to James 14, and excuse me, James 4 and 17, and we're going to end it here, brothers and sisters. James, the fourth chapter, the 17th verse. James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What does that say, brother? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is called sin by omission, brothers and sisters. It's not what you do, it's what you don't do. That's also a sin. So, a sin of omission is a sin committed because of neglecting to do what is right, brothers and sisters. See, there are good works left undone. See, the text tells us knowledge of duty increases obligation to perform it. And to neglect a known duty is sin. It is sin to know that a thing is right and yet leave it undone. Confession is right. You know what you're supposed to do. So to neglect doing that, to neglect repentance, to neglect confession is sin. So the Bible tells us it's universally true that if a man knows what's right and does not do it, he is guilty. He or she is guilty of sin. So according to the text, to refrain from breaking the law is not sufficient. In fact, it's insufficient. That's not enough. Did you say, well, you know what? I don't eat pork. You know, I don't spend money on the Sabbath. Nah. Nah. See, that's the easy part. <laughs> See, that's, that's, the, that's the letter of the law. This is the spirit of the law. What is it, brother? Verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. See, that's the spirit of the law. That's that next level. After you're in this walk, brothers and sisters, in the Leviticus 11, and, and the lust, all these things become easier for you, right? You know, you're not watching rated X, you know, rated X stuff, or listening to all types of music, or not getting drunk and smoking marijuana and all that. Once you overcome those things, right, now you move here. Now you move here, five years in, 10 years in, 15 years in, 20 years in, 25 years in. Not having struggling, I'm not struggling with pork anymore. I'm not struggling with you know, pornification. Not struggling with that, right? This is what I'm struggling with, is to know what's right and yet not to do it. This is the next level, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson was... Trim your lamps. Today's lesson was extensive, brothers and sisters, but it was it was needed. Um, this particular lesson helped us learn how to keep our garments from being spotted. Subsequent to baptism, when the garment is white, how can I keep my garment white? How can I keep my garment cleansed? There's only one way. The one way is... To confess sin, brothers and sisters. Our people will not make it. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 said the number one thing that's mandated for our people to, to be freed is humility. Confession highlights humility, brothers and sisters. It strengthens humility. Brothers and sisters, please apply this into your life. Why? Can you read verse 17? Therefore... To him that knoweth to do good, 
and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is why you ought to apply it. Because to not apply it is sin. You see this, brothers and sisters? Who's going to have enough oil? Who's going to have enough oil? Who's going to be able to trim the wick? Who's going to have enough? All of us will not make it. Most of us will not make it. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.